Good to see everyone here this morning in chapel. I haven't been able to be in chapel much of late, and so I'm looking around. A lot of faces. I know your faces, a few of your names. I'm still trying to remember. I have to really rack my brain to think of a few of your names I can't forget. And so I don't know what to say about that. Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians this morning. 1 Corinthians. The soldier began screaming and waving his arms at the grimy group of prisoners, a group of disgruntled POWs during World War II, who were being forced by their Japanese captors to labor on the infamous Burma Railway in western Thailand. Ernest Gordon, one of those POWs who survived to tell the story, later recounts how the imprisoned soldiers had degenerated into barbarous behavior, each man living for himself until this pivotal moment changed everything. The screaming Japanese guard shouted that one of the shovels was missing. Calling the men to attention, the guard demanded to know which prisoner had stolen or hidden the shovel. Not a word came from the line of prisoners. He began to rant and rave, working himself up into a paranoid fury and ordered whoever was guilty to step forward. No one moved. All die! All die! He shrieked, cocking and aiming his rifle at the prisoners. At that moment, a man stepped forward. Enraged, the guard beat him to death with his rifle, while the rest stood silently at attention, watching the brutal scene in front of them. When they finally returned to the camp, carrying the bloody corpse of their comrade, The tools were counted again, and there was no shovel missing. In a moment, they all knew what had happened. The guard had miscounted the shovels. The word spread like wildfire throughout the whole camp. Their fellow prisoner, an innocent man, had been willing to die to save everyone else. This incredible act of sacrificial Love had a profound effect on that group of prisoners. Instead of fighting and living for their own survival, they began to treat each other like brothers. They banded together to bring light and joy to one another in a place of torment and darkness. The love of God began to shine in hearts and transform their perspective to the point that When the victorious allies swept in to rescue the emaciated survivors and they lined them up in front of their captors, instead of attacking their captors, demanding retribution, they protected them from their liberators and insisted, no more hatred, no more killing. Now what we need is forgiveness. The power of genuine Love. It can't be overestimated. It cannot be denied. Sacrificial love flowing from the heart of God through the life of an ordinary humble servant has the power to transform everything that it touches. But love also has the ability to do what few other things in this life can do. Love touches eternity. Here in these next couple of days, we have an awesome opportunity, don't we? The opportunity to touch 100 plus, couple hundred, I don't know exactly what the number is, teenagers, young people that are coming here on purpose to hear from the Lord. But all of you have an opportunity to touch their lives as well. And I think I'm, I'm probably right in saying that, that each one of you, your heart's desire is that I want to make an impact on these young people for eternity. I want to be used by God in somebody's life over these next couple of days in a way that matters for eternity. You're all going to have different roles, different responsibilities, different, different places that you're put in. Some of you, some of you may be team leaders Some of you are co-captains. Some of you are squad leaders. 
Some of you are going to work in the kitchen. Some of you are going to help with things with setup. Some of you are going to just be side by side in that squad alongside those teenagers. Whatever your role is, you all have an amazing opportunity to impact these young people for eternity. But can I tell you, to live a life that matters for eternity, you must choose to live by love. There is no other way. 1 Corinthians in chapter number 13 is a familiar text to all of us. Probably many could, could quote at least the opening verses of this chapter by heart. But here, the apostle in his first epistle to the Corinthians, he's confronting an area of wrong thinking that had brought conflict into the church. Many people had gotten caught up in the desire to be important, to be successful, to be seen as someone. And so they were comparing their various gifts and abilities, trying to promote their status, their spiritual value to the church. And Paul's coming to them, he's laying out and he's saying, listen, listen, gifts and abilities, those are good and God gives them to the church, but you're missing what is of greatest importance. Look at the final verse of chapter number 12, verse 31. He says, but covet earnestly the best gifts and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now this word more excellent is a fascinating word. It's where we get the word hyperbole. We use that, right? The, the idea of just using just over-exaggerated language, right? It comes from this word. It literally, it's the idea of, I'm, he's saying, I want to show you the supreme way of living. I want to show you a way of life that is beyond every superlative you could give it. He says, I, want, I want to show you a way of life that reaches out of time and touches eternity. This is the kind of life I think we all want to live. And as we look at these next couple of days, but far beyond that, if you're going to have a ministry that matters for eternity, if you're going to touch lives in a way that matters for eternity, you must choose to live a life by love. You must choose to live by love. I want to begin looking here at 1 Corinthians 13. Lord willing, we're going to look at the whole chapter today. All right, we're going we're gonna to move quickly to do so, but, but I, there's, I, w- I want to bring a perspective that I've been asking the Lord, would you help us to be able to see this text that is maybe so familiar with fresh eyes this morning. But I want to start in the second half of the chapter where we usually just kind of, yeah, whatever that second half is saying, I don't quite understand that. We'll leave that alone. Well, just the first part's really potent, so we'll go there. We're going to get to the first part, and it is very potent. But I want us to understand the second half because... It's what ties all of this together. I want us to see here that we need to, first of all, embrace the permanence of love. Do you notice verse number 8? begins with these words. It says, Charity never faileth. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, They shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now know I in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. Is that right, Brother Mueller? What's going on here? Charity never faileth. This is, this is where I, I come to this point of saying that love is the essential ingredient for eternal investment. You see, there's many things in life that we think that are, are incredibly valuable. 
Okay, we could go through a whole long list of things, right? Things that seem to us like these are really important things. In the here and now, this seems like it's, it's of utmost importance. I mean, this is, yeah, we, we got to hold on to this. And we, of course, we can look at what things that are valuable to our world and, versus the things that should be valuable to us as believers, certainly. But Paul here is addressing that. He's saying, listen, there's some things that you think are valuable, you Corinthian believers. Here's some examples of things he thinks are valuable. He says, he says whether there be prophecies, they'll fail. Whether there be tongues, those see, whether there's knowledge, it shall vanish. These are things that were really important to the Corinthian believers. Their prophecy, their ability to minister, their, their ability to declare forth truth, all these things. He said, this, this seems really important to you. But you know what? When it comes down to it, no, we, we only prophesy in part. And that's going to fail. It's going to pass away. There's going to come a time when that's not valuable anymore. The, the, the talents or the giftings that you have, you know, the, you, maybe the, this gift of tongues, we're not going to get into what he was talking about. That's not the purpose of today's message. Okay, but, 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 but some sort of gifting that you have or abilities you have, that seems, well, this seems really, boy, I have this gift. And they don't have that gift, but I have this gift, and boy, this is an important gift. And just, it might seem important now, but there's going to come a day. It's, it's, it's of no value. Certainly in eternity, that's not going to matter anymore. It's not going to be something that's on the table. It's something of great value. Well, I have this knowledge, this knowledge. I have that. He says, yeah, your education, your knowledge, the things you're able to, you, you just know in part. You think you've got something, but you know what? There's going to come a time it doesn't really matter. What he's trying to say is these things, they're all great, but frankly, remember, you don't have a corner on the market on anything. You just know in part a small bit of thing, and no matter, no matter how much you think that you know or think you can do, there's going to come a day when those things are done and they no longer matter, but love will still be there. Love will still go on because charity never fails. It never passes off the scene. It's eternal. And he's saying, so listen, you need to, if those things don't really have value in eternity, when we come and we stand before Jesus Christ, those things, what gifting you had, that's not what's going to matter at the judgment seat of Christ. That's not going to matter for the millions and billions of timeless years that we're experiencing in eternity, that's not going to matter. It's not going to matter what gifting you had or how much you knew in this life. It's not, none of that's going to matter. But love will. He says, so you need to get your value system brought in alignment with God's eternal perspective. It doesn't matter whether you're a squad leader or not. In eternity... That's not going to matter. It doesn't matter whether you're given a position or an opportunity, you're a part of this or part of that. That's not going to matter in eternity. Let's get our value system brought into alignment with God's. You see, as children, he uses an illustration here. He says, when I was a child. See, as, as children, there are things that make sense to us. Things that seem incredibly important to us that, frankly aren't important, and don't make sense. I'm a father of seven children. I, <laughs> but as a child, we have a very limited scope, a very limited viewpoint on life, right? We have experienced a, a huge amount of time those six years. And we have learned everything there is to know, right? Right? And we can have this, a child has this thing and think, boy, I've got things figured out. But their perspective on life is really very small. And because of that, their value meter is skewed. Happens all the time in my, in my house. Children come to me and one of my kids comes to me and they're crying. I mean, they're just literally just bawling their head out. And they're, ah, let's get them calling the kid. What's going on? I don't know what happened. And they lay out for me. This is what happened. Someone did this and they took this and this happened. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, and why are you crying? <laughs> but why? Because their value meter skewed. It is important to them in their little perspective. This is like mammoth. It's huge. And you know what? It's okay for children to think that way. It really is. Because they're children. Their value meter at that moment is here. But as we grow, what's really valuable are we growing maturity? We begin to understand what really is has real value in that. And we look back and we think, oh, that was so important to me. I opened up my box. Do you guys have a box? 
of all the important stuff from your childhood? Okay? I had that box so that it didn't get thrown away. So I have this box. It's, it's like an ammo box from like World War II. It's cool. <laughs> Just saying. It, it's, it's rugged. So anyway, I have that box, and I pull out some of this. And periodically, my kid's like, what's in the box, Dad? So we pull it out. I'm like, why did I keep this? This, is, this roll of stickers is not important, okay? <laughs> the guy didn't even win the election. It wasn't even in my state. Anyway, all sorts of stuff in the box, all right? But why? Well, it was important to me at, the, at that time. There was, there was a reason why it was valuable to me. And I look at it now and think, Psh, chuck it doesn't matter anymore. That's not valuable. Why? Maturity. Growing in your understanding. A C. William Fisher recounts a day when he was driving in his car with his four-year-old son at his side. And, and he asked his son, he says, so his name was Byron. Byron, what do you want to, to be when you grow up to be a man? And his reply was, I don't want to grow up to be a man. Well, the father was surprised by this. And so he asked, well, why not? And he says, because then I couldn't ride my tricycle. The father says, as I drove on, I thought, I'm sure I enjoyed my tricycle when I was four. But I'm also sure that I enjoy a whole lot more the power and performance of my Oldsmobile today. Okay, it's okay for children to think like children because they're children. But as we grow into adults, we gain a clear perspective on what's truly important. When we mature, by the way, you see this in verse number 10, but when that which is perfect is mature, is complete, when, as we grow in that maturity, when we come to that place of maturity, then we realize that thing that we thought was so valuable, that we just knew a little sliver and we thought, oh, that was really valuable. We realized that wasn't valuable at all. It had no valuable. And so as we grow in belie- as believers, we, we've got to have this same, I'm done with that childish way of thinking. Thinking that this position or this opportunity or this ability or this, this thing that I'm doing here, this knowledge, that I'm thinking that those things are what's really important. He says we've got to grow. Maturity is realizing that isn't really what's important anymore. That's not what really has eternal significance, eternal value. What really matters for eternity is that which never fails. Love. And so as we grow as believers to that place of maturity, we're walking closer and closer with the Lord. Our perspective on life grows clearer and clearer and we come to realize that that which truly matters in life is that which is eternal. And we see this again, verse number 12, coming to this eternal perspective. For right now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. But we're growing in our maturity now, but we will not reach that place of full maturity, of being fully complete as God wants us to be, until we are, we are glorified. We reach eternity. And when we see our Savior face to face, then we will finally no longer see through that glass darkly. We'll no longer have a perspective that's skewed in any way. We will have a perspective that is fully aligned. We see exactly as God sees on what really matters and what didn't matter, what really is important and what isn't important, what really was life all about. And when we see Jesus face to face and we have that perspective that's not marred by our sinful nature, we come to that place of full maturity where we know Jesus the way that he knows us. Wow, that's going to be an awesome day. Then we will understand unequivocally that it was love, love for God and love for others that was the essential ingredient for eternal investment. The greatest of these is charity, is love. Friends, we've got to embrace the permanence of love. The fact that that is the essential ingredient. You want, to, you want to live a life that matters for eternity? Then it's got to be a life that is of love. A life living out the reality of the love of God through you. Anything else? Boy, seems important now. Seems great. Look at everything I can do. But if it's not lived by love... Who cares? And that's exactly where Paul goes in the beginning of the chapter. And we're going to go back now to the familiar verses, okay? Verse number one. Because here, I want you to notice something in the verse, first three verses, all right? I'm going to rephrase, and I'm going to ask you to read four words, okay? I'm going to ask you to read four words. Can you do this with me? 
Okay, he says, though I speak with the tongue, uh, tongues of men and of angels. What are the next four words? Okay, go to verse number two. We're going to pick up in the middle. He says, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, what are the next four words? Okay, verse number three. Uh, he says, and though I give my body to be burned, three times in these first three verses, we see the exact same phrase repeated. Pointing to this, this reality of that we can be doing ministry things. We can be going through life doing what we maybe should be doing or what we're called. We can, we can have all of that. But he says that we can live a life and have not charity. Doing all of that with the absence of love. Now, if you've been around here for the last couple of years, you maybe have heard us say something along this lines. We've been working on the Renew series and some other things that's been said. But, but I, I'm convinced that the opposite of love or the absence of love in our life is selfishness. Okay, the opposite of love is selfishness. Selfishness is doing what I want to do when I want to do it, no matter what it means for anyone else. If you were a group of kids, we would say that about six times and make sure you had it memorized. Okay, selfishness is doing what I want to do when I want to do it, no matter what it means for anyone else. It's life that's about me. And that, that's the kind of life we live when there's no love. When we're not intentionally living by love, we default to a selfish life, a life that's all about me. It's, it's, it's our human nature. And since love is the essential ingredient for eternal investment, the opposite of love is selfishness, then, friends, we can say this, that selfishness robs us of eternal dividends. Selfishness robs you of eternal rewards. That's exactly what he's saying here in these first three verses. Saying you can be involved in all sorts of spiritual endeavors, but if you do not deal with your selfishness, it will be worthless in the end. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Listen, you could be an incredible speaker. You could present truth to others with reason and wit and clarity. You could be, have amazing communication skills. But if you have a selfish motive, it will not matter in eternity. It doesn't mean anything. Verse number two, he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Listen, you could have amazing academic abilities. You could have incredible understanding even of the words of Scripture. You could be a master in your field of expertise, but if you're selfish in it, if you do it so you can enjoy the feeling of success or the rush of that intellectual discovery and acclaim, it will not matter in eternity at all. He says, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Listen, you could be a person with great faith, with expectation in God to work. You could even see God answer some amazing prayers, moving mountains. But if selfishness still has a stronghold in your life, your great faith is nothing. I don't like to say that because I'm a big faith guy. Okay? Uh, I, I preach on I'm passionate about the need for faith. I'm big enough, but you know what? That's what the text says. Says you can have amazing faith, but if it is not permeated with love, who cares? Doesn't matter in eternity. My wife and I were talking about this last night, and we were talking a little bit about George Mueller. And of course, we think of George Mueller as the man who had just great faith, saw God answer so many prayers. But we were talking, you so said, you know what? When you look at the life of George Mueller, yes, you see a life of incredible faith, but you also see a life of incredible love. He loved people that nobody else loved. The outcast. Why did he pray all of those prayers? Because he loved them. That's why George Mueller's life matters for eternity. Not just because he had great faith and saw these answers to prayer. He had great faith because he had great love. Verse number three. 
And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Friends, you could go through incredible physical sacrifice on behalf of others. You you could give of your resources to others. You could even go to the point of giving your life as a martyr. But if it is motivated in some way by selfish desires, ambition, a hunger for approval, trying to build an image of some kind, whatever it is, rather than being motivated by genuine love, your sacrifice means nothing in eternity. It is a complete Waste. There's plenty of people in our world who sacrifice everything. But it's not out of love. And it means nothing in eternity. Some of you, you sacrifice a lot. Time, energy, resources, brain power. Okay, I'm looking at a group of people. You do a lot of things. In these next couple of days, you're going to sacrifice a lot. I understand it is not easy to have a huge group of teenagers come and invade your dorm room. I recognize that. Teenagers, we're not saying anything bad about you. They're here already, okay? But it's not easy. It's not easy to literally make your life now is about these 10 kids and They're not going away for these next couple days. Thankfully, they are after that. (laughs) Right? It's it's real. I understand, but can I I, I tell you? You could sacrifice so much, but if it doesn't come from a heart of genuine love for them, if there's selfishness still in your heart, of, man, okay, I want to make sure Mr. Bosler sees that I'm like a really good squad leader, so maybe I'm a team leader sometime. Maybe I'll get, I don't know. Whatever that selfish motivation is, doesn't matter. Oh, you can sacrifice all you want, but you're not going to affect eternity. Because love is the essential ingredient. I wonder how much of our lives, young people, when we stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to find out was worth nothing, was wasted simply because it was motivated by self rather than by genuine love. So, so if we're, if we're going to embrace the permanence of, of love, then we have, to, we have to engage the potential for selfishness that we're facing. Well, we have to face it head on. And realize that selfishness, it robs us of eternal reward but then we go to verses 4 now through 7, and here, here we find Paul laying out for us some characteristics of love that I think help us to see that selfishness wears many different faces. He's helping us to see the many facets of this beautiful thing called love. And as we look at all of those facets, we think, well, this is amazing. But each one of those facets also reveals to us the hideous nature of selfishness in our life, the opposite or absence of that love. And if we're going to really say, okay, well, I see this, I've got to have love, boy, these next few days in my ministry, I've got to, I've got to live a life that's, that's motivated by love, not by self. Okay, well, then we need to analyze our life. Where, has, where does self have a stronghold in my life? Where, where does selfishness have a grip on how I think and what I do? Because you cannot grow in your love for God and others unless you're willing to confront your selfishness wherever it appears. So I want to love God more. Good. Well, where are the areas where you're not loving Him, where you're loving yourself? And so here, Paul gives us a list of 14 qualities of genuine love to help us diagnose the hold that selfishness has in our life. 14 points. Subpoints. Is that too much? All right, we're just going to go through them. We'll go through them quickly here. But I want us to, to just interact with what does he lay out? What does love look like? And therefore, what does selfishness look like in our life? And where are the areas where I, ooh, selfishness, yeah, boy, I'm selfish in that way. 
Okay, verse number four. Charity suffereth long. That's the idea of it's patient. It's not consumed with me and my agenda. Selfishness, then, is impatient. It cares only about me and my agenda. Can I ask you, do you get irritated when others delay your schedule? When things get messed up because this came up or this person asked you to do this or this thing happened, do you get irritated by that? Or are you patient through it? Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. How do you respond when someone steps into your life with a request or with a need, or maybe they just, they just need a listening ear for a little while? And so, so you give that, but it really makes things inconvenient or difficult for you as a result. How do you respond? And I'm not talking about the smile that you plaster on your face and the nice word that you say as you walk away. I'm talking about the thoughts running through your brain and the words you mutter under your breath as you close the door or walk down the hallway. How do you respond? Love suffers long as patient. It doesn't get irritated in those moments. It's not consumed with me and my schedule. It says, uh, charity suffereth long and is kind, shows gentleness and graciousness toward others. In contrast, selfishness is harsh, demanding, and mean. How do you treat the people that you interact with? What kinds of words come out of your mouth? A kind word or a cutting word? A frustrated push away, perhaps, when someone comes along? Can your attitude and actions toward others be described as gentle, as gracious, as kind? Listen, friends, sometimes all it takes is just one harsh word. One moment of intentionally ignoring someone. And we've all done it, haven't we? One, one demanding lecture, maybe, to completely erase your opportunity to impact somebody for eternity. Love is kind, gentle. It says, charity envieth not. It doesn't desire the things that others have. It's selfishness looks at the blessings that others experience and craves them for yourself. You see everything through the lens of, oh, I should have that. Are you always wishing that you had what somebody else has? Do you feel like, man, my life would be so much better if I, had, if I just had some of their tech? Like, they've got all this stuff, man. If I just had one of those things, man, that'd be better. Yeah. Or if I just had their family. Or maybe if I just had, if I just had their academic abilities, man, my life would be so much better. If I just had their personality, their, their, their winsome way with people, if I just had the opportunities that they get given, if, I just, if that just given me, then... That's selfishness. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't look at things and say, ah, if I only had that. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not boastful. It's not consumed with getting other people to think good of you. Selfishness, in contrast, is quick to point out your skills, your abilities, your accomplishments, what you can do, what you have to bring to the table. I think we've probably all been around people who, you know, you can barely get a word in edgewise in that conversation because they're telling you all about themselves and what they can do and what's going on in their life, and it's just about that this, this, me, me, and this, I did this, and I can do this, and then I can. You're in those conversations, right? And, and sometimes, <clears throat> no matter what the topic is of the conversation, Maybe you try, you know, steer the conversation to this topic over here and, oh, yeah, here's everything that I know about that, convers- oh, that topic. And you we lay it all out. You ever been with conversation with people like that? Have you ever been around one of those people who are just so genuinely interested in you that it's like pulling teeth to get them to talk about themselves? Not, not because they have something to hide. Not that at all. They just... 
they just care so much more about you than they do about what's going on in their life. They don't, you ask them a question and they answer quick and then turn the conversation back to you. I tell you what, when I'm in conversation with somebody like that, I walk away and think, man, that person really cared about me. I mean, I've told my wife after a conversation with people, it's like, man, I had some stuff I wanted. To, like, I wanted some information about them, but they were just so consumed with like, no, but, but what's, what's happening in your life? What can I? Selfishness is all about what's happening with me. Well, I can remember when I was in college, I had a roommate, and uh, he, he was only here for a short time, but literally the guy, you couldn't even talk. I mean, you try to carry on a conversation, it was always about things that he did and everything he could do and it, puffing himself up. And frankly, we all knew none of it was true. He thought it was. I think it was genuine. I don't think he was, but he was just so caught on himself. That's not love, friends. And you're going to make an impact on some of these teenagers. You're going to have to, have to get out of just thinking life about me through my filter. What can I do? What, what are the things I have? Man, I should be the one up there hitting that big ball instead of them. Having, that, that can't do that. Man, I, I could do this way better. Do you just think about your skills and your abilities and what you can do all the time? How much do you desire people to notice you and the things that you bring to the table? How much do you actually care about what's happening in the lives of others? Can I, can I give you a little, a, a little tip? If you're always interrupting and finishing what somebody is telling you, you don't actually care about what they're saying. If, somebody, if somebody's sharing something, let them, let them finish telling you. Don't assume you know where they're going and what the end of their sentence is. Don't jump in to give your solution. Love listens and isn't all about me and what I want, what I think I know. Sometimes we joke about, you know, difference between men and ladies. Men are about like, oh, what's going on? Okay, well, here's the solution. And ladies like, I just want you to hear. I just wanted to tell you. I don't need an answer. I just want you to, you know, just wanted to tell you what was wrong. That's not necessarily, I mean, there is some reality of the men and ladies things on that, okay? But all of us need to be people who are willing to just listen and not feel like I have to be something in this situation. God will lead you, and there's things you'll say, and we follow the leadership of the Spirit of God, but don't just assume, <laughs> I've got to insert something here. Vaunteth not itself. It says, not puffed up. Is not puffed up. It's not inflated by pride. This is very closely related, obviously, with what we just talked about. But selfishness has a high view of yourself. Thinks that you're something more than you are. Do you feel like you're the answer to the problems around you? Do you feel like you deserve to be served by others or that you deserve a certain position? Let me ask it this way. How do you feel when you are overlooked for an opportunity that you feel like I'm qualified for this. How do you feel? I've been in that place before, and I've realized, man. All right. I feel irritated. I feel frustrated by that. I feel like, like pushed down because I, I could do that. I have all, the, I have all the, the tool set to be able to do that. And I was just passed right over. And our pride thinks, I've got to somehow... Get that because that should be where I'm. That's not love. That's, that's just, what it, just, just what it's saying. Love's not puffed up. It doesn't think I should be here. Verse number five, doth not behave itself unseemly. This is the idea of it doesn't act in a way that dishonors other people. It isn't rude. Whereas selfishness enjoys doing things to get attention, even at the expense of others. Do you enjoy creating a scene to get attention? This happens sometimes in college. There's some names that come to mind from when I was in college, when I think about this. Do you purposely try to be brash or controversial? Do you like to make other people feel uncomfortable? It's not love. 
I've known people who have considered it a part of their personality to intentionally make others feel awkward or uncomfortable. To always, you know, stir up controversy or just to be obstinate. And, you know, they always have to take the, the opposite side. They just, that's just my personality. I'm just that way. Can I say, if you like to argue and debate and pigeonhole other people, okay, if you like to be obnoxious and brash and make other people feel uneasy simply because it brings you some sort of pleasure to do that, it is not your personality. It is selfishness. It's not love. Love does not behave itself. It's not rude. It's not inconsiderate of other people. Love seeketh not her own. It's not self-absorbed or self-seeking, where a self is just consumed with me and what is best for me in this moment. Do you miss the needs of other people because you're so focused on your, other, your own needs? Do you leave others in a lurch because it would mess things up for you to do something about it? It's selfishness. It says your love is not easily provoked doesn't get upset easily. Literally, the idea is not hot within. Whereas selfishness gets upset easily, gets frustrated quickly. Can I ask you, when things happen to disrupt your life, do you get angry inside? Is there that rise of frustration in your spirit? Do you feel irritated? Even, even if you don't show it on the outside with some angry outburst, do you feel it inside? And if I'm being honest with you, this is an area where God is continually dealing with me. Because I have this rise of frustration, this feeling of being hot within my spirit. I, I didn't really ever remember being an angry person. Even in college, I, I feel like I've always been pretty even-keeled, never struggled with angry outbursts or anything like that. don't really remember struggling with frustration until I had kids. And now, all the time, I find, I realize I have this inner rise of frustration, this hot feeling inside of me because my kids are doing something that I just put that new thing down and now, boom, it's, it's just destroyed. Ah, you know, why did you do that? Stop, think. And I can feel that. And maybe I don't, I don't have this angry outburst at my kids, but inside I'm feeling that irritation. That's what he's talking about. That's selfishness. I feel irritated because I'm selfish in that moment, not because of love. And that inner irritation, that hot feeling within is just as much selfishness as the angry outburst of selfishness. Okay, next here it says, thinketh no evil. Now this, this, this phrase literally has the idea of it doesn't keep a record. It doesn't keep a record of offenses. It forgives. Whereas selfishness holds on to a grudge. It keeps score of the offenses made against us. How do you respond when somebody wrongs you? Can I tell you, that question is one of the fundamental questions of the Christian life. Because it happens. And how do you respond when someone wrongs you? Do you have a mental record book in your mind where you're keeping track of the offenses? Do you hold on to things against people? I mean, honestly, we're really good scorekeepers, aren't we? We're really good at keeping track of things. Even if we don't consciously do it, we have this mental book where we keep a record of the slights and the grievances and the wrongs that are done against us. And so then when so-and-so comes across our path, the database goes, right here, here's the list of grievances. And we now view everything they're saying, everything they're doing through that list of grievances. We're keeping record against them. We're holding things against them. And you're saying, listen, that is selfishness. That's not love. Love says, I'm going to intentionally not keep a record. I'm, I'm going to not keep track of this. I'm not going to keep score. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Doesn't enjoy that which God calls wicked, but finds joy and delight and pleasure in truth. Selfishness finds pleasure in sin and sinful behaviors and simply endures the things that are true. Can I ask you, are there sinful pleasures, quote-unquote, that you enjoy? Things that you know are a violation of God and His Word, but you do them anyway because you like the way that it makes you feel. Selfishness. We've got to keep going quickly. It says, love beareth all things. It puts up with annoyance or difficulty. 
whereas selfishness refuses to tolerate annoyance. Listen, people are difficult. They're complicated. They are annoying. Let's just be honest. Do you just walk away from people or situations who are annoying? Do you want difficult people out of your life? You say, I just want somebody else to handle them. Yes, you want to take over this person? Go, yeah, (laughs) go for it. All about it. I don't want them. Some of you are going to have that very annoying junior hire in your squad this week. Or you're going to have that, that older teen who gives you the silent treatment, doesn't really want to be involved much. You're going to have them. How are you going to respond? It's annoying. They just let the big ball drop right in front of them. Yeah? How are you going to respond in that moment? Selfishly? Frustration? Irritation? Or with genuine love in that moment? Love believes all things. It assumes the best of others, whereas selfishness assumes the worst of others. Is your mind filled with negative thoughts towards people? Do you just assume that that so-and-so is against you, or you assume that, oh boy, they volunteered for that, they're going to blow it. They always, they're going to blow it. You assume the worst? That's not love. It's just thinking about you. It says, hopeth all things. Doesn't take failure as an option. It doesn't give up on other people. Selfishness gives up and decides that some people are just beyond hope. What do you do when that person that you've been working with fails? Again. And again. You reach that point where, all right, I'm just... There's not really any hope here. Let's, let's move on to the next candidate. Love doesn't give up. Love doesn't give up. It just keeps on. Aren't you grateful that's how God is? It doesn't give up. It says your love endureth all things. It doesn't buckle under pressure. It keeps moving forward. Whereas selfishness gets overwhelmed and quits when things get difficult. Listen, young people, we live in a world of quitters. And people will go after your generation's and my generation, because we're, we're, we're more prone to quit than the older generation was. And there may be some truth to that statistically. But it doesn't have to be that way if we'll live by love. I talked to my father-in-law. He's, he's an employer of different people. And, you know, he, he has a hard time finding good workers who won't quit as soon as something gets difficult. Who won't quit the moment some pressure gets put on them. It's the world we live in. How are you? What do you do when things get difficult? Do you run from problems? By the way, when you run from problems, you only make them worse. Or do you try to shield yourself from having to face that difficulty in some way? That's not love. It's selfishness. So, Brother Mueller, this this is pretty brutal. I go through this, I feel like this is pretty brutal been a rough past couple days. Do we, do we really need to, like, we've got to really face this selfishness thing so we can live by love and make it, because that's what really matters for eternity, and I can't have both love and selfishness because they're opposites. I like how one commentator put, that, put it. He said, cure selfishness and you plant a garden of Eden. In other words, if you deal with the selfishness in your life, Then you reach life to how God intended it to be. Say, okay, Brother Mule, I see it. I see selfishness in this area, this area, this area. I mean, you went through those 14 things, man. Uh, At least this many many hit me. They they got me. This is, well, how do I overcome that? How do we live for eternity by living by love? Very quickly, first of all, you need to confess your selfishness as sin in that area. No matter what way it manifests itself. We like to excuse, well, this little area of selfishness, that's just... No, 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 it's, it's selfishness, it's sin. Confess it as sin. Be honest about it. Agree with God about it. They help you to talk with another person just to verbalize it. Like, yeah, this is actually true about me. Number two, intentionally choose love. You will not love by accident. 
As God has revealed areas of selfishness in your life, you need to go to him and say, God, I am choosing to love this person. I am choosing to forgive this person. God, I am choosing to love in this area of my life. Would you teach me to love in this area of my life where I struggle with, with, with the selfishness? And then number three, remember this. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. We don't overcome selfishness in our life simply by trying to be less selfish. All right, I've got to, I've got to be less selfish. I've got to stop having that selfish response. All right. It's not how we overcome selfishness in our life. We overcome selfishness by walking in the Spirit, by listening to His promptings and obeying His voice. And as we walk in the Spirit, He produces His love in us. A love that is completely foreign to us in our flesh. A love that can only come through God manifesting His love in us. Friends, that's what God wants to do through you over these next days. You don't have to think, well, boy, I'm so selfish in so many ways. There's probably going to be a bomb the next couple of days. No, no, no. Yield to the Spirit of God. Say, Lord, I'm going to start listening to you, Spirit of God. And I recognize these areas of selfishness in God. I need you to do something about these areas of selfishness. And Spirit of God, would you lead me in a way that overcomes these? I'm going to listen to your promptings, to your voice. And you can live a life that matters for eternity. Even these next couple of days, if you will choose to live by love, by depending upon the Spirit of God, by listening to His voice, by allowing Him to produce His fruit of love through us. To live a life that matters for eternity, you must choose to live by love. Let's bow our heads to pray. Before we pray, I'd like to just... Ask a simple question. How many say, Brother Mueller, God's shown me areas of selfishness in my life here this morning. And I need to respond to him in those areas. I want, I want to see those areas of selfishness dealt with. I want, I want God to transform that selfishness into a place where his love is seen. And God's dealing with me this morning through the, through, through the message. And despite uplifting, I say, God's talking to me this morning. All right, put those hands down. Lord, you see in the hands, you know what you're doing in hearts. Would you help us? Help us to learn to live by love, to allow your spirit to so lead us and, and, and move in our life that you'd bring us more and more to that place of maturity where we realize that love is, love is what matters. Not my agenda, not me, not what I need or want or how I feel about something, but simply Simply your love flowing through us. Lord, make us a people that touch eternity. I ask this in your name. Amen.